This season of Influencing Entrepreneurs is brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Organization of Charlotte. EO Charlotte is part of the world's premier network of successful entrepreneurs, embracing the unique qualities of the entrepreneur. Desire to build? Extreme achievement? Quest for new experiences. EO opens a new world for peers to learn from and inspire each other, leading tremendous business successes and a richer personal life. EO Charlotte, where entrepreneurs belong. Coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. Best thing that ever happened because it just shattered that ego to a whole like nothing. (laughs) And um, you know, you need that. I mean, entrepreneurs have to have a strong ego, but a strong ego isn't a big ego. And I had to learn that several times the really hard way. (laughs) After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with multiple companies, I realized that when business leaders share stories of not only their successes, but their mistakes, it had a huge impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not document those stories? On this episode of Influencing Entrepreneurs, we'll hear from Baby Presler, the owner of Spark Publications. Spark Publications is an award-winning independent publishing firm specializing in the design of niche magazines, special publications, and independently published books. I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for coming to do this. And, and I do want to talk about your entrepreneurial journey, but I really want to talk to you real quick, kind of talk about pu- publishing in itself that when an author finishes their book, that they kind of become an entrepreneur because nobody can sell that book as well as an author. We call them authorpreneurs. Authorpreneurs. <laughs> we call them authorpreneurs, yeah. What are some of those hard lessons that uh, come from that? Because I know just finishing a book is trying, It's you're glad that it's done and you're it's over. You're but that's just getting started. You're just getting started. <laughs> just getting started. So what is, what is the uh, shock and awe that, that they go through that you help prepare them for. Yeah, well, we try not to have them like, you know, the only wow moments we want are when they're really happy about some of the work that we've done for them. And we really work to prepare our authors for the the entire process. So we will sometimes and often meet with our future authorpreneurs um, when they're just having an idea. And so they haven't even written a word yet. And so I work with them, um, just really making sure their audience why do they want to write this book? Why does this book need to exist in the world? And who cares? You know, because if you can't answer that, then it's going to be really um, a really challenging process. And and then honestly, we don't take them on because you have to at least be clear as to why you're doing this and who you're doing it for and who needs to hear it. And so there's all of those steps that goes into the manuscript part. Then, you know, the fun part is the, is the overall design for marketability on the cover and the interior for functionality as to how the audience needs to use it. And really, you know, that can be a long process. We make it as, as um, compact and compressed as the author needs it to be or wants it to be. But even though that's like so important, it is half the process. But well, you, you play that guide through it. So... Tell me about some of the, the stumbling blocks, because really writing and releasing a book is a business of itself for that one book, but also dealing with the business aspect versus the creative aspect. I, I, I know there's challenges that come with that. How do you help bridge that translation so 
you don't stifle creativity, but you can also get them to fit in the system so their book can be successful. Everything's done in phases, and we really ask them just to focus on a certain phase at a time. So if you're writing your book, we'll interject when it's time to actually start thinking about where that audience fits into it. And then the same thing, it's, um, then it comes time to, for creativity, then that means that the manuscript is complete. So get past that, now we're into design mode. So let's really work on the design. And then it's gonna be the promotional, the marketing part and the distribution. And you know, we work with them in every one of those phases. I wanna get back to that yeah. piece, but let's yeah. talk a little bit about your, how you, this came for you. How many books did you write before you decided I'll just be the publisher? And Oh, zero. No. Zero books. Zero, no, so no. So how did you get into publishing? Um, I came into this entire process as a graphic designer. So, you know, I actually, when I moved to Charlotte at 17, <laughs> then I, you know, went to Central Piedmont Community College to be a graphic designer. Um, by the way, I moved here by myself with no money, no family support, and I didn't know okay. anybody. I didn't even have a car, what, right? What, what, I, so that's a, really, what, what causes that? Oh, how, how far back did you, I run yeah. from the law? Yeah. No. Okay. I, I guess I was running from a life that didn't feel like it was going to be the life I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I got to ask, what is that life? Is this small town living? Is it... Uh, it's small town living, so my parents um, are, um, you know, first. I'm first generation American. So my French parents moved actually to Canada, then to the Bahamas, and then we moved up through the, the south and um, finally landed a little self-sufficient farm in Pillion, South Carolina. And my dad, very creative. My mom, very creative. Um, my dad's a chef, so studied in Paris, learned in Paris and figured that he would start a restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina, which is fantastic. Entrepreneurship, yay, yeah. you know, but not always entrepreneurship from just a passion, right? You have to have, you have to have a core base of knowledge on how to run a business, which he did not. <laughs> so unfortunately, within a year of having that restaurant, the business failed. We had to close the business. Which is normal for the restaurant business. It, it's it sad, is. But it's, it's it is, common. but he put everything into it. So we yeah. lost our home and the okay. farm that we lived on. And um, very gratefully, um, a family that was in North Carolina opened up their home for my family to move into it. And so my family moved in. This amazing, amazing family um, took in two angry teenage girls and, and two parents that were exhausted. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we took that journey. I learned what um, entrepreneurship was probably not a cool thing <laughs> at that point. Yeah, it could be very dangerous. It just really disrupted our lives. Um, but that's what I, I wanted to no longer be um, enveloped in. So I went to high school, graduated at 17, and then that's when, as soon as I graduated, I left home and moved to Charlotte. So we escaped the, the, the small town life. We escaped the entrepreneur. And really where we're at now is we all repeat the sins of our parents. <laughs> Pretty much. Exactly. And then I realized that he had repeated the sins of like his great, I mean, his grandfather. And so my great grandfather was an entrepreneur in, um, in, in France. And, you know, that was a bank in the 1920s. So yeah, yeah anyway. Banking in the 1920s. Yes. Yeah, what a great time. No, yeah. it was not. It was not. So anyway, that was my family history. So that is one of those things that, you know, without even realizing, I didn't know the story of my um, my great grandfather till maybe um, two years ago when I was mm -hmm. finishing up my last book. You know, and so it was a 
fabulous F words of business ownership. So we learned a lot about ownership and business. But that, that was the whole thing. Sometimes um, a business owner doesn't even realize the core of what's running their business. And for me, it was to actually be able to change family history. But that's where you're learning about it now. Right now, you're 17 years old. You're going to see, you come to Charlotte on your own at 17. Yeah, years old. I'm going to be a graphic designer. Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> if I even knew how to make, you know, spaghetti at 17 years old, let alone leave the home, come here to go to community college for graphic design. What are those first couple years like? You're here, you're alone. And, and to us, Charlotte's the big city, but in comparative to a New York City or something, very small town. Well, you know, I came from 98, you know, in a graduating class, you know, to 300 in the in the graduating class that I graduated into, you know, a city. <laughs> you know, so 17-year-old, a gal with no world knowledge, you know, besides survival. So strong survival. So I came in with that. Um, worked at Athens Restaurant. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, uh, and also worked at, at yeah. No, no, it was um, it was Athens at the time. Right. No, but yeah. it was a landmark. Like for every, I remember going there in high school. Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, so I worked three jobs, put myself through school, lived in a uh, boarding house with sixty other women at the time. <laughs> so, yay! You know, you do what you got to do, and it really became a really good core for business ownership. You know, because it was like rely on yourself, look for, look for those that can help in the best ways that they can around you, but don't count on it and still. How were you able to take that away from a community college where so many universities miss out on that opportunity to teach that? You obviously saw what it would take from that, that piece to where a university would just say, now you have the skills to be a graphic designer, go do that. Sounds like you were set up for bigger success from your experience. Um, I don't know how much I was set up for that. I mean, I had some good instructors, but the core of it was is that there was nobody for me to rely on. And so you take those skills and you build on them and you continue to make things um, happen from that. So I think my entire life I've been building and rebuilding foundations. And, you know, I just I had to survive. You know, and in order to do that, I had to have some kind of education. I knew I had to be a waitress. You know that. You know that was awesome, but it just wasn't going to take me where I wanted to go. What's your first job after uh, finishing at CPCC in graphic design? Well, um, I wasn't even finished yet, and I saw an art director's position on campus, and I thought, how cool would that be? And that's what I want to be. And then I knew that she was getting ready to leave, so I actually petitioned my instructors and everybody that I knew at the community college to vouch for me, and I actually landed that position. So my very first position was an art director with two employees that were students. So, so you, you literally get away from the entrepreneurial world. You're an employee. you got a steady paycheck. How long does that last before you're like, I can't be confined by this type of system? Um, it was about, what, two and a half, three years. And I went to work, at, I was recruited at the Charlotte Observer, worked in their creative department. Unfortunately, on my job interview, I ended up seeing this blue-eyed man who just shot lightning bolts from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. And um, long story short, but not so long, it's, you know, uh, what, six months later, we're married. <laughs> and we've been married for 34 years. Wow, congratulations. But um, we, we started our family very early. And so I had my daughter and decided I wasn't going back to work at that point. And so I started my first 
business there, which was um, Pressler Design. And then it merged into another company, um, which was a, a printer. And so we became a publishing company that actually... And you're doing this while you can spend time with your family. You've yes. decided to not be an employee. And um, we're, we'll, the kids now call it a side hustle. You're kind of setting something up early on just to... I needed a paycheck. Exactly. And I had to use what I knew, right. which was graphic design. And I had to build it in order to get the paycheck that I needed and then just built it from you know beyond that and then unfortunately i didn't know a whole lot you know repeat the parents uh <laughs> issues there i didn't have a lot of business sense and um signed a um, a poor contract and lost my business to the person that i actually helped build this business with so you so let, so you had a partner it sounds um, like i thought it was a partner right. <laughs> but i didn't know enough to realize that i was an employee a director employee but we both had the same lawyer, which you don't ever do. <laughs> yeah. So I learned a really a lot of really hard lessons at that point, which have served me greatly um, after that. So that was the first business for six years. So you make a you go into business, it goes out, it it, it doesn't work out. The business works out. I was let go. Right. So your story ends there. It was all down downhill from there. Never, it's over. Never. Oh, what happens no, next? No. 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 I'm a survivor, right? <laughs> yeah. No, from there, um, you know, I needed to, to recharge and to grow up and to learn some things. So I went and worked um, at a couple corporate departments and then um, I was recruited for another small business to be their general manager. And again- So, so now you end up an employee again. How, how I does did. that feel after being part of a small company? Oh, I was wounded. It took me, it took me a while. You know, it was like um, the best thing that ever happened because it just shattered that ego to a whole like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, you need that. I mean, entrepreneurs have to have a strong ego but a strong ego isn't a big ego. Right. And I had to learn that several times the really hard way. <laughs> yeah. corp, corp, corporations are the wrong cultures could definitely do that. So you saw from that and you ended up going to a much smaller company that probably gave you some flexibility, right? Yeah, well, not so much. So, but it taught me a lot about the customer service part, about running the business and a lot of core core skills that I still needed. And then it was just like, I realized that, my gosh, everyone is spending more time with my husband and my daughter than I am. And so it was just time to make another move. And and this was in the graphic design space, correct? Um, I'm not running somebody else's, it was pre-press. So okay. it was a technical, a technical position. Okay. But yeah, so, um, you know, I worked at corporate and as a creative director and running, you know, $50 million departments and doing all this great stuff. It always had a string in the graphic design and publishing end of it. Um, and so I just ended up having a lot of beautiful dots to connect. And then a family that I had uh, just adored that I never spent any time with. And so um, not advisable to just quit cold turkey <laughs> and start a business, but I did. And you if know, you didn't, how else would it have gotten started? Um, planning, you know, actually building it up, doing the high side side hustle thing um, to get it started would have been probably the more sane thing to do. Um, so it took a little bit longer. Um, 
But you know what? It, it became exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. So I had the freedom. I had the creativity. I had a platform to learn and to serve. And what was that platform? That platform was growing Spark Publications and being able to serve clients creatively to realize that we could be a small part of big projects and then later a bigger part of big projects. Yeah. So now you're working with authors. Now, now you've got to go search for authors. Mm -hmm. oh. We've never had a salesperson. Really? So how, how do people find Spark? Sparks Publications. Spark Publications is listed in all the projects that we do. So it's listed as the publisher in the books. It's listed as the creative firm in the magazines that we produce. And we also submit for awards because we're really proud of our client work and we like to celebrate our clients. Um, we're called the sparklers and we like to you know, <laughs> sparkle and shine with those clients. So our clients find us um, when they're shopping you know, for at awards, large national award um, competitions. And, you know, we've landed our two largest clients by winning a gold award at one of the largest magazine um, competitions in the country and also internationally. And so when you win a gold award, then people come shopping right. <laughs> and then they um, issue the RFPs. And so we've gotten them that way. And then for the authors, they call us. Or, um, or I do some free workshops and we meet them there. Yeah, no salespeople. Wow. And that's amazing because, uh, you know, the lifeblood is sales. It, it, it can be exhausting. The lifeblood is business development and attracting clients. Right. And that we do, we attract clients. And what would you say is the biggest thing that attracts it, those awards? I think it's the way that we work with our clients. We really, we really get to know what it is that they want to do, and we get to the, the soul and the passion of their talent and what they have to serve for their audience and their clients, and help make that shine with beautiful packaged books, designs, well edited, um, the magazines, you know, the, the brand story is cohesive throughout the magazine, so it increases advertisers, and then, you know, that makes the clients really happy. So I think it's um, kind of like this great sparkly magnetic thing that we have that attracts the right clients to us so that we could just do the most amazing work that we can do for them. I was gonna say, yeah, they come in probably not, they know they have an idea and you've got to foster that. How do you? Through authentic conversation and a really um, strong set of questions, and you know, sometimes people like to tell you what they think they need to do versus what they really want to do, and I get through to that. You know, it's just it's through answering real questions about what it is they really need and want to achieve, and what their audience needs from them. And um, as far as how the how the attraction part works, that's by doing work that is successful and the success tells the story. Are there any ideas that come by? Because I'm sure you, you, you've been pitched everything. <laughs> Are there any that you've moved forward with that you're like, it's, it's a decent idea, but it ends up being much more successful than you could have imagined? Yeah. And, and what, what causes that? Um, it's typically the entrepreneur that we're working with. Right. So they get their own message and they know how to leverage it. They are clear on who their audience is and then they have this beautiful product that's on point that helps them move forward. And 
my assumption is the beautiful product is the book. Is it solely the book? Never, never. The, the books that we produce are a beautiful part, a component to something that's much bigger. So we call them, they're all books with purpose. And the purpose is to grow a business or a platform. And it has to come with a clear vision in order to do that. So the books that we produce, it's really strong collaboration with our clients. And that's what makes that process successful. It's not, it's not what we think they need. It's what we hear that they need to achieve and can achieve. And then we bring in our expertise along with their expertise. And it's just beautiful collaboration. Can you share any of those that were just the surprise hit that just make you glow? Yeah, um, Stacy Sims, we produced her second book. And um, in, in that process, in that process, we realized that, you know, she's a quirky, fabulous person and she's really working to um, educate the diabetes community. And in that process, she really put her soul into it and then just took that book and just ran with it. And so she's got a podcast that's hit over a million um, downloads, you know, her book has really helped her get some amazing, you know, stage time, stage presence, even during the shutdowns. She's really done a great job. She sold more books than she thought she would, and she's in, um, on track to double that already this year. Um, how about those that you thought were sure to be home runs that just <laughs> fell short for some reason? You, if you want, oh, share I won't with... tell you which okay. ones, but. Um, and honestly, I try not to go in being sure about it because you never know. It's just, it's no different than business ownership. It's what passion and resources will the, um, our client, will the business owner put into the books. We've had some that, sure, it should be a home run. And then at the end of the process, the client says, you know, I really don't want to put time into marketing or selling this. And it's like, well, it's just like launching a business and going, you know, I'm gonna let somebody else sell this. And if it works out, and you're like, no, you you have to put time into it, so. I, I wanted to talk about marketing before we move into COVID real quick, but the marketing of the book, we, we all wanna think, oh, it's just ads, but where's a really good time for authors to spend marketing their book? Like where, where do they see the biggest return? The biggest return is being in front of their direct market. So whether that's through speaking, um, whether that's through their workshops, whether that is, um, you know, we have some clients that don't even sell their books. We have clients that incorporate their books as part of their workshops. Um, we have some clients that we have a great lawyer who um, produced their book and it's a beautiful book. She got it traditionally printed, um, two color inside and her her thought is that she will never sell them. She sends them to prospective clients. She hands them to new clients. And, you know, her credibility factor has just really, really increased through that. Moving from, from building that credibility as an author, we go into COVID. So I, I have kind of uh, preconceived notions that when COVID started and we were all trapped in our homes, we all thought, I'm gonna write, everybody said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn a new trade, I'm gonna learn how to cook and bake bread, or finally write a book. Being a publisher, 
one would think that would be great. What type of behavior did you see from up and coming authors during this time? Was there a change at all? There was a change and we thought, oh my gosh, we're just gonna have to step back. We're gonna retool some of the company and do that because you know we expected it to, to be much slower. It was not. I mean, within the first two months, we landed nine new authors. And keep in mind, we only take on 20 authors a year. Um, during the shutdown and with the big event that we had had um, the year, at the end of the year prior with Fivefecta, um, we ended up with 27 authors <laughs> during you know 2020. We did not publish all of those. We published um, 20 of them, and the rest of them we're we're working on now to to finish those up. But the the behavior that had changed is it wasn't the entrepreneurs whose businesses were not doing well that came to us. It was the entrepreneurs, the business owners whose businesses were doing great. And they came to us because they knew things were going to change. And they got themselves ready for this next wave of what business is going to look like, what's going to be the new business normal. And they have positioned themselves to be super strong, to be, you know, in front of their audiences to be the experts in their field. Were they were they going at it from a looking forward? Or, because we've all heard a million COVID stories, like this is what I learned during COVID and we're to a point where we're kind of tired of those stories. Were these people that saw past COVID from day one? Yes, yes. These are, these are true entrepreneurs, they're true business owners. And seeing that, you know, things are, things are not good now, they're hard now. All of their businesses were still very viable and profitable. Um, everybody was working two to three times harder. <laughs> you know that that's the success story. If you know triple triple your hours in order to stay where we were in 2019. But yeah, they they're visionaries. They see things ahead of time, and they're you know preparing their businesses and being even stronger with um, a great tool that's going to help you know, expand their audience, their market, and further credibility for their audience. Yeah. When do you realize that you're now committing the sense of our, your parents and going down the same road you, you look to avoid? Um, that was probably nine years into Spark Publications when I needed to completely turn over my staff and I had zero in my, <laughs> zero checking totals there. I mean, there was no money. And I'm so glad it happened at year nine because that ego kicked in and I said, by gosh, I'm gonna make it to year 10. Yeah. And I did, I made it to year 10. And we've had, we've had some really rocky times since then but we're on an upward trajectory, so I no longer fear that family history because I've, um, I've altered it. I've altered our family history in a way that I feel really proud about it. And so now it's looking forward. It's making those next steps. The only way you altered it was facing it head on. No, face planting. Yeah. <laughs> face planting and tripping and making horrible mistakes and that's why that I love to mentor now and that's why I wrote the book Fabulous F-Words of Business Ownership. It's all the good F-Words <laughs> but it's all, I mean the book, I wrote it 
in order to try to help save business owners at least five years of just awfulness. <laughs> you know, here's here's some of the good lessons and here's how to move forward. Well, well, one of those, and you mentioned this earlier, is having the wrong partner or a perceived partner early on. Mm -hmm. Are there are there signs early on that you wish you hadn't ignored or oh, it gosh, was it yeah. okay? Yeah. I mean, what does that look like? Because we we get a weird feeling in our our stomachs. That's it. That's the only one you need. Yeah. As soon as you get that, realize whether that weird feeling is your fear, or if it's like everything around you telling you something. But how do we balance that? Because we get caught up with our confidence as well. Like we're unsure of ourselves mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. So it's a little bit of trying to build an ego and check your ego at the same time. Well, if you've done entrepreneurship correctly, your ego has gotten completely squashed and you've built it up more on a part of a confidence that's not necessarily ego-driven. It's a confidence from wisdom. And it doesn't mean we're not gonna fail because as we continue to try, as we continue to innovate and try new things, we're not gonna get it right. And it's just a matter of really getting to that point where you get more confident in taking steps forward and knowing that sometimes that step forward is going to kick you back a couple steps. But we get that, that entrepreneurial callus that helps us know that, you know, we've hit hard times before. What I've learned from that is going to help strengthen the next move that I make. When you, looking back, uh, uh, to that, the beginning, what do you wish, what would you tell yourself then that you wish you would have known from day one? One, it's gonna be okay. Two, you're gonna learn exactly what you need to know when you need to know it. And three, have a little faith in yourself. You know, it's just, um, I didn't. I really doubted myself through the entire process and it cost me a lot of time. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for so joining much us today. Thank you, Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash education or visit chasmawar.com to catch up on previous episodes. And be sure to be on the lookout for our next episode featuring Meredith Connolly. Meredith is a local artist who illuminates her illustrations and adds interactive elements to her work to further connect and submerge viewers into her glowing environment.